0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. This morning, so we've started doing this over the past few months um, since we started regathering in June. Um, And it's a tradition that churches have had for a long time and that we've decided to adopt As a way of acknowledging that God's words have more weight than our words do and that we're grateful that God has given us his word So I'm going to read this at the end I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord You are going to say whatever we're going to say thanks be to God in some way shape or form Okay, but it's a way of expressing gratitude. So first Peter chapter 1 uh, verses 1 and 2 Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good job. You can sit down. And, um in other weeks, we've cheered at God's Word. I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's a little bit harder to get excited about the greetings, I think, uh, at the beginning of these letters. Um, but this greeting is packed. So when I start a series, uh, what I what I do is just read the read whatever book it is as, over and over again as much as, as I can do, and then it gets deeper and deeper. I would suggest to you that you, sh- you should read 1 Peter over and over again. If you've been... On the bible reading plan that we've been doing as a church we were just finished hundred day one together the other day and i'm going to send out an email about this tomorrow but my suggestion is going to be that we just read first peter over and over and over again and what happens when you do that is you just start things start to come out to you questions start to come out to you patterns start to come out to you start making observations and start to get a better sense of why he's writing um, what he writes last week uh john Preached and he preached out of James about the importance of being quick to listen. At the end, he talked about like listening to God and and above all who we need to listen to, and when you're reading slowly over and over, that's what you're doing. And he talked about asking the five Ws and the H and the questions that we need to ask. And I would encourage you to to get a notepad and just start writing that stuff down, and um and let me know what how God speaks to you because I I love to hear that. Now this greeting, um like I said it often these are the ones you just skip right over uh, because it's a greeting to a letter. But then the more I read it, the more I thought, man, this thing is packed. And so I'm going to just go through that this morning. And what, what he's doing is he's starting by making sure that the people that he's writing to understand what their story is, what their primary story that they're living out in life is. And so let me take a minute And I'm going to return to a theme that I talk about from time to time because I think it's so important and it it shapes how we understand our lives, but that we're shaped by the idea of story. All stories follow um, a similar, if not the same pattern that stories start with a setting and then there is a stress to the setting and then there's a search to figure out how to alleviate that stress that ends up being a solution and then you find yourself in a new setting every story follows that read your kids a story tonight before they go to bed it'll be once upon a time there's a setting the setting in a story kids story takes like two sentences because their attention span isn't great you know and then a dragon comes in or whatever it is the princess gets whatever it might whatever books you read your kids you know and then there's a search and then there's a hero that'll be the solution and then there's a new setting they all lived happily ever after that's how it works uh what you read a novel um there's they they assume that we have a bigger attention span and so i tried to read anna karenina whoo i couldn't do it because it's just uh, maybe my attention span isn't that good or it was different in the late 1800s but like they spend so much time with the setting and the character development and that makes a good story but that's how it works our tv shows all work like this you know um uh it's almost Hallmark movie season Christmas movie season they're all the same right is the guy gonna get the girl the girl gonna get the guy what's the answer it's always yes we know that but we're gonna watch it anyway and there's gonna be stress and um the crime shows my kids primary binge watches during COVID has been and beyond has been crime shows they're now they've watched psych like like the whole thing multiple times you know how everyone's gonna work out Uh, Criminal Minds, Chicago Police or Fire or whatever, all of them together. Um, And and so all of them work the same way. They go through that format. But we're hooked on them. Like that's just uh, how we work. And it dictates when you start looking at your life that way, we view our lives as a story. We're really probably a bunch of stories where there's a bunch of stresses and we're seeking solutions to those stresses. And they compete for our time and attention and priority of which ones are more important um, than others. And so you've got, you've got stresses, and some of them are little and some of them are big. If you have a child in distress, that's a big one. Uh, my old boss used to say, no parent is ever emotionally higher than their lowest child emotionally. And so that'll do it. And so you're searching for a solution um, to their stress. It could be that your marriage is going through a rough patch. And so that's gonna be a primary stress in your life. And you're gonna be spending a lot of mental energy trying to figure out what do we do about this. It could be that you're not married and you wanna be married and so that's your stress. is you're trying to figure out how do I solve that problem? um, It could be that you hate your boss. And so you wanna get a new boss and so you're trying to figure out should I resolve that stress? How do I resolve that stress? Or maybe you need a boss because you don't have a boss and you just want a job. And so you're trying to alleviate that problem. And that's having, you know, it could be your finances. Um, that could be stressful. It could be that you've got all the things that you're supposed to have, but it doesn't seem like, like it's amounted to as much as it's supposed to amount to. And so, what do I do about that? Or it could be that you can't stop checking your phone, and you don't know why. And that could be your stress um, in your life. You cannot know what your stress is, and that be your own stress. Or no, you should be paying attention to a stress, but you're not paying attention to it, which is going to create more stress. I listened to a guy this week who is a. Um, it's a ministry podcast, and the guy said he, uh, he likes you know, well-engineered European cars, but he's been in ministry his whole life, so he can't afford new ones, so he's always had used ones, and so that's had its own set of problems. So he, his favorite car was an old Audi that he had, but the check engine light came on like every month, and so he had to take it to a mechanic. They're notoriously expensive to fix. And so after a while, he just got tired of it, and so what he did is took a little piece of electrical tape and put it in that little window thing over where the check engine light was, at which point I thought I probably shouldn't be listening to this guy's podcast, you know? (laughs) Uh, But at least he was being honest, and so he just didn't know that it was on, and eventually he woke up one morning, and predictably his car just wouldn't start, and he he got it towed to the mechanic, and the mechanic's like, yeah, uh, this is not worth as much as it's going to cost to fix it now, so I think we're done here. Um, but he was talking about how we'll do that, and that's convicting, where you know that there are some things that you ought to be more stressed about than you are, but you, it's hard to see the solution, and so you stop paying attention to them. Um, it, you could analyze the whole thing by looking at what you th- what you really think the solution is, you know? Like, what are you, what are you really longing for? What do you really want to happen in your life? And that's going to tell you what, in your life, you think the solution is, and you can back out of that to what you really think the problem is in your life. And so, what's your preferred future? Uh, What do you, what do you spend your time daydreaming about? Uh, You investigate where you put your time and your energy and your money and you can, you can figure that out. I will, at times in, in, when counseling people, uh, after talking about a situation for a while, I will ask, hey, let's just, what do you, what do you want? what do you want to happen in this situation? What do you want to be true in six months, three years, whatever it is in this situation? And try and get people to, to like investigate their heart and their soul. And then I'll ask another question, which is what do you want to want? All right, here's what you want. We got to be honest about that. But then what do, you, what do you want to want? What do you think you ought to want that you don't want? Because that probably will tell you what primary story you're living out right now, and, but then what you know to be the real story, uh, but you can't quite get there. And you just, that stuff is all stuff you have to be honest about, and I think that's part of what um, Peter is doing in the beginning of this letter to these folks. Um, is there a solution? Can you see a solution? Because when you can't see a solution, like solutions, that's where hope comes from, that we think there is a preferred future that's attainable, and when we stop believing that, Uh, like, we stop wanting to get out of bed in the morning. Like, that gets to be um, a difficult place. My mom has been in the hospital. Well, now she's in a a skilled rehab for a few weeks, but she had a minor car accident, broke her ankle. Uh, She's 75, and her other leg isn't very good as it is. And so there have been times over these five weeks where she's just said, I just want to cry and give up because she she can't see it you know? And so we have to speak hope into her and say, yeah, you can get there. And you need people that will speak into your, part of what we are as a church, that will speak into your story, what the true story is, and that you can get there. So this matters a a ton. And Peter's going to take some time early in this letter, making sure they understand what their true story is. I hope that you have, like in your mind now, some pieces of, okay, what are the stresses? What am I, how am I searching? What do I really think the solution is? in my story that you can compare against what Peter is about to say, um, because how how God sees your story and how you see your story are often different. Um, I have no doubt that the way we understand our story dictates the way that we live, uh, even if it's inaccurate, you know, you can have a narrative that's completely false, but it'll dictate how you live your life, and whether or not the narrative you're living out is true or false is going to dictate how much of your life you waste on a false narrative. Uh, so all of this stuff uh, matters. And so he's going he's to tell us some things about our story. Some that we knew and some that, well, a lot I think that we knew, but a lot that run counter to our culture and um, are going to be challenging to us. So as I, as I get, get into the passage quickly, the people that he's writing to um, matters. They are, they're um, They're not Jewish. This is going to make sense in a minute because he's going to give them a lot of Jewish language. They're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. If you are not Jewish biblically, you are a Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles. Maybe some of you have some Jewish uh, heritage. They are in northern Turkey. So they're not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the early church was centered. Rome is where the empire was centered. They're kind of in between on the fringes of places. It's, um, It's Asia Minor at the time, modern day Turkey. Uh, as we understand it, they are um, new believers in Jesus because this is written in the 60s AD. Everybody in that part of the world that believed in Jesus was a new believer because the news of Jesus was new to their area. And their life is getting harder because of their faith in Jesus. And that's going to come out a lot in this letter. Um, you read the in the book of Acts, Paul goes into the southern part of Turkey and um, and, and starts churches in those cities, and he tries to go in the northern part, and God tells him to go over to Greece, and Peter, or somebody went to the northern part, and evangelized these, uh, these folks, and started some churches, and when you read about what happened to Paul in the southern part of Turkey, every time he went in, he'd start with the synagogue, there would be some new believers, and, and then some, some non-Jewish people would become believers, and they would always face, Paul got kicked out of a lot of those towns because he was challenging like that the dominant narrative of the culture and the power centers of the culture and um, in, in challenging that he faced resistance from people and that's what these people are facing now and so as he writes to them and in this you know setting and uh, stress and search and solution and new setting their faith in Jesus I think they were starting not to see it as the solution, but they were starting to see it as the stress in their lives. You ever been in a place where you think your faith in Jesus is not working as the solution right now, but it might be serving as the stress? Anybody else? Am I preaching now? Like, yeah, that can happen. And so we can relate to what they're going through. So here's the the two verses again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And um, as I said, this is like, it's a thick two verses. I'm going to show you something that I don't even have time to deal with, but he says the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus... The Father and the Spirit and the Son. What's that? The Trinity. This is written in 60 A.D. No church father had written the word Trinity down at that point. Um, they were they hadn't come to grips with what that really meant. But it's it, you see stuff like that throughout the Scripture, and Peter is making a point of that right in the first two verses of the letter. But I think primarily what he's telling them is here's who they are, and here's what their story is, and so these three things are are what jump out in these two verses. They are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Like, God has chosen them and put them where they are. You have not been abandoned or forgotten by God. Um, does anybody ever think the problem in their story, the stress in their story, is that God doesn't know what's going on, or God has put them in a place and left them there, and he's not there? Anybody? Anybody? This is a what-do-you-want, what-do-you-want-to-want want question. We're in church, so I know how you're supposed to answer this, but just tell me the truth. Has anybody ever felt like that? Yeah. Um, they are exiles in their own land. Uh, this is not home. This is not home. Um, the, the New Testament makes these distinctions between the kingdoms of our world and the kingdom of heaven, and, and this is the kingdom of this world. And so you are going to be an exile in it. You are not going to be the ones with the cultural power. Uh, and that can be hard, but your best days are ahead of you, um, always, because he's moving us to the kingdom of heaven. And so he's going to emphasize that to these folks. And when you try and turn earth into heaven, you create a whole nother set of problems. And then God is in the process of biblical words sanctifying them. He uses this language for obedience to Jesus. Um, God is not going to put tape over the check engine light. We have real problems. He's really going to fix them, uh, no matter what the costs are, but that's going to require change on our part. And so he's going to tell them the purpose of their sufferings is the way that God is sanctifying them and making them more like God. So those are the three things I'm going to go through. This first one, they are exiles in their own land— um, if you are following Jesus, he would say this to us, you are an exile in your own land. We get a lot of news about exiles right now because of what's going on in Afghanistan. I think I read this week that 120,000 Afghanis were gotten out. I mean, obviously not all of them were, but a lot of them were before, um, before the, the deadline day or, or whatever. And so they're around the world right now, and they're exiles um, in different lands, and so some of them are coming here, and they will come here with nothing. Uh, they will not speak the language. Um, they will be stereotyped and misunderstood. Uh, they're, you know, whatever they did in Afghanistan, their credentials won't transfer, and so they're gonna have to reinvent uh, their lives. Nate Anderson, uh, one of our elders, works a lot with refugees. He actually, I put this in the weekly, a week ago, he got on the news, like there were, you know, because refugees are, are a topic right now in exiles, um, they interviewed Nate because he's worked so much with refugees over the last 10 years. And that started with the church caring for some refugees and them needing a job, and Nate gave them a job. And at first that didn't seem like a great business move because they don't speak good English. And so and it's hard to have good customer service, you know, when, when you don't speak the language. But it's turned out to be really good for his company because they're, they're really hardworking folks that are grateful for opportunities, and a lot of them... Um, you know, are credentialed in something else that they can't do here, and uh, so they they work super hard for him, and Paul is telling these folks that's what they are. They're cultural exiles. Uh, They didn't have to move when they became Christians. They didn't move out of their towns, but they instantly became exiles to their culture because they're now living out a different story, and that's what happens when you start following Jesus, is you start living out a different primary story for your life when you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross that he is um, the Son of God come from heaven to earth that God has not abandoned us that God does care about us that God wants us to know exactly what he's like so much that he came down here and that our sins have real consequences that we know and we can't put the genie back in the bottle but He's going to fix the problem, but what it required was him going to the cross to take the ultimate consequences for our sins, and that's what he did on the cross. And then he demonstrated that power and gave it to us by rising uh, from the dead on the third day and then sending his spirit, that same spirit that raised him from the dead, to live in us. And so he is making us like him and giving us the ultimate promise of being in his presence forever. That changes that changes the big story in your life. It changes what you understand as your preferred future and how you're gonna get there and what the real problem is. Because a lot of times when we look at what the problem in our life is, it's somebody else's sin had led to a, has led to a problem in our life, a stress that needs a solution. But when we start understanding this as our primary story, it's our sin that is the problem that needs to be solved. And the search really is the means of sanctification where the holy spirit of god is going to change you and the solution is becoming who we were created to be and who we know we were created to be and being in god's presence um, for eternity in a few verses he's going to say that's your inheritance that is imperishable unfading and undefiled and ultimately the solution that you are hoping for so when you believe in jesus that becomes your primary story that's the gospel the people, like that, are around you. And if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, that's not your primary story. And I don't say that in a, like a I don't want to say that in a pejorative, condescending, judgmental way. Like it's just a matter of it's pragmatic. Like, you know, if you don't believe that, then you're gonna think that story's crazy. And if it's not true, it is crazy. You know, like that's just how it is. But if it is true, then a lot of other stories are crazy and you make a choice at some point to the extent that we as christians are living out of unbelief instead of living out of belief we're living out a different story than the one that god says is true of us and, it, and so if you, if you see things differently you're going to live out a radically different story they'll respond to their circumstances differently um, and it, that's a theme throughout this whole letter is he says you're egg, cultural exiles and so like, the, the people around you are going to be living out a different story with different priorities, and, and we as Christians will be tempted to make the story of our culture our primary story. What's the primary story of our culture? What's the American dream? Prosper. Yeah, prosper. Do better than the previous generation. I think it's, it has been work hard and you can have more. Work hard and you'll make it. Is that the story of our culture? I mean, in in a lot of ways. And so in that story, uh, what's the solution? Make it. More. Have more. And um, the the stress really is that I haven't made it. And the search is work hard. Um, That's a really different story than the Jesus story. Jesus had made it. (laughs) He came from heaven to earth. And gave up the making it for the benefit of the people around him. You see how those are two radically different stories? And we've been called into the Jesus story. And living out different stories is going to cause tension. Um, it's going to cause what looks like loss, according to our cultural story. It's going to create some, some distance and some alienation. And he's saying you're exiles... And he's saying to these folks, and he would say to us, you're, you're going to be exiles in your culture. Uh, every immigrant group faces some loss, persecution, alienation, m- misunderstanding, right? Like, a few years ago, I realized this. Every group that has come to America has taken it on the chin. Like, a hundred and whatever years ago, if it, Irish people were moving to America, and everybody hated them, apparently. I don't know why. Like, I know a lot of Irish people. They seem like great people. They have great pubs, you know. I'd like to go to Ireland. Uh, It's great. When I was a kid, we had Polish jokes. Did anybody else have Polish jokes? Is anybody Polish? I'm really sorry. Uh, It was something about losing the recipe for making ice. And I don't know why we did that. We were in Milwaukee. I guess there were Polish people someplace. But we just did it. I remember reading, remember the Unbroken book a few years ago, Louis Zamperini, the World War II guy? And he, part of his story was they moved to Torrance, California from the East Coast, and he was the first Italian, the first Italian family there. And so people, like, tortured them. Like, what, what is that? But we do it to everyone. And so now it's, for the past, I don't know, what, 30 years, it's been Hispanic folks that have been misunderstood and stereotyped and, you know, pushed to the margins, and Middle Eastern folks, like, Insiders always wanna give outsiders the business because insiders need outsiders. And to be insiders, to be an insider, you need an outsider and it feels good to be an insider. And that becomes a story for us that I'm an insider. Um, I mean, we shouldn't do that as a church, but we still do that as a church. Part of our problem as a church right now, like in our country, is that we have had cultural power for so much of the history of the United States because a majority of the people have been have either held a Judeo-Christian worldview or been explicitly followers of Jesus and so it's been culturally beneficial to follow Jesus and to be a part of a church now I think it's probably culturally disadvantageous and some of you have told me this in your workplace to talk too much about your faith and your involvement in church like it has flipped and so we are losing that cultural power, and part of the church is responding by clinging to the cultural power. We can't give up the cultural power, but I don't think that's the power that God wants to, to, us to cling to, and it's part of why this letter is so helpful, because Peter is saying, no, you are elect exiles in a diaspora scattered according to the foreknowledge of the Father. He knows exactly what's going on, and it's okay, and it's fine to have cultural power, but it's not fine to freak out when you lose it. Because God's people have always been exiles, and God has always come through for them. And part of what Peter is saying to these folks, in this elect, exiles, dispersion, um, this language is all Jewish language. And part of what Peter is going to do, he's going to allude to so many of the Jewish, the Old Testament stories, in the beginning of this letter, is telling these folks who don't know what their story is, Because they're in these cities in northern Turkey, and this is all new to them, and they were a part of the culture, but now they're living out a different, they're trying to get oriented to it, is to say, if you want to understand how this story works, read the Old Testament, because the people of God have always been exiles, and God has always come through for them. And so when they were in Egypt, they were exiles, and they cried out to God, and God powerfully delivered them. And it wasn't their power, it wasn't cultural power, it was the power of God that delivered them. They went to Israel and to the Promised Land, and that didn't work out, they ended up in Babylon, and God was with them and said, "Um, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. When it looked bad, God was still in control, and so he's telling them, and he's telling us, I am still in control. Peter, at the end of the letter, is going to say that I Peter write to you from Babylon. Now, he's not writing from Babylon. He's in Rome at the time. But what he's saying is Rome is the new Babylon. But he's saying, like, you're always going to be exiled from the, the power centers of the culture. And that's okay. That's okay. But be careful you don't live out the wrong story. <laughs> be careful that, that his story is your primary story. Now, they are elect, according to the foreknowledge, of God so you're elect exiles in the in the dispersion um, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father uh, the the poster child for elect exiles in the Old Testament is probably Abraham Abraham and is the one that gets God's call in Genesis 12 and says you know leave your family and um, your land and your stuff and go to a place that I'm going to show you and um, and You know, and then I'm going to take care of you in that place. So God chose him, um, but God sent him to a place where nobody knew him and nobody knew what was going on. But what, what he had done is called Abraham out of his story, and his story is that they were a wealthy family and things were going pretty well for him, into a different story. And the different story that he called him into was God's story, his plan to reconcile the world to himself. And so he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And so he called them into uh, God's story. And that's what he's done to us. He's called us out of our individual stories into this greater story of mission and reconciliation. Now, Abraham had other stories. He had a wife. They had some issues. Uh, but those, that story fit into the bigger story. Uh, they had trouble having a kid. That story fit into the bigger story. Right, they had stuff, but the stuff stories fit into the bigger story, and Abraham had a hard time remembering that God was with him. Um, part of part of election, and that's a whole nother sermon: election and foreknowledge that we're not going to have today. But I would love to sit down and talk with you about election and foreknowledge because that's a tough issue. And if it's not a tough issue for you, you haven't thought enough about it. So think about it some more. Let it be a tough issue, and then we'll talk. Um, this, it's a hard thing, and one of the best sermons I heard on it is a guy that said, you know what, the, the idea that God chose us and we didn't choose God, A, is all through the Bible, but he said, B, it's hard, um, but it's a lot harder when you don't have it than when you do, and he went on to, um, to talk through that. I am, have come to a point, and I'm okay with this, that we are trying to understand an infinite God with like two and a half pounds of gray matter, like a Big Mac worth of gray matter trying to understand the infinite God that created the universe and everything in it, and so there are some things that we're not gonna get, and that feels a little bit to me like a cop-out, but it's also just true um, that there are some things that we're not gonna understand, and election is one of these things, but election, when you're in exile, um, is super helpful because it says that God knows exactly what's going on with you. Um, Abraham, at various points, as he was living out that exile, was like, hey God, did you forget about me? And, you know, you read through the early parts of Genesis, and God comes to him, and it's probably every couple years, in a powerful way, and says, I still have this. And God has never not had that, but he reminds him every once in a while. And that's part of what Peter's communicating to them, is that God knows your story better than you do. um, And he is with you. Uh, uh, Another part of Election that is um, significant and useful Is that God chose Abraham um, God chose Israel God chose us He didn't choose Abraham because he had everything together Again, read Genesis There was a lot of stuff that Abraham didn't have together A whole lot of stuff that Abraham didn't have together He, he He chose Israel not because they were the greatest nation But because they were the least They weren't a nation When he chose them, they were the least of nations. And so that through, through their leastness, God could show his greatness. He could show his power because they didn't have much power. That's, um, his power will be made perfect in our weakness, right? He didn't choose us because we were something special. He chose us because he is something special. And he wants to work through us to demonstrate his power to the people around us. And that's part of why elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of the Father, matters so much to us. As a church, like, be helpful for us to keep that in mind, because over so many times, the church has become a place of insiders, where it's hard to be an outsider in the place of insiders, because we want to be insiders, and we really have to resist that. Um, I have one son that has just gone to college. I have another son that's working to pick a college, and when I've been prepping for this series, like, I've been thinking a lot about them because one of my maybe laments is we didn't, we sent her to public school and not to Christian school. Um, it's probably just from a financial standpoint really hard for us to do, but there was an appeal to it because they wouldn't be exiles in a Christian school. Um, I, my, my second son is, you know, choosing, and, and some of his options are Christian schools, and that's an appeal to that, is like, in his public high school, it's been hard to find good Christian friends, and a lot of his friends aren't Christians, so those friendships only go so deep, and um, and I totally relate to that, but I was talking to him the other day, and saying, but we're always, we're always exiles in our culture. Uh, my oldest son, I went to, uh, he had a game a Friday night, so I went up and was hanging out with him for a few hours afterwards, and just talking about what life is like in college, pray for me, please, uh, because it's college, you know, and, and, Kids are free to live out whatever story they want to, and they are exercising their freedom. And he's living out a different story, and I can feel the tension in just talking to him, you know. Um, but we are elect exiles, so being an exile can be hard because it seems like things are out of control. And while things are out of our control, uh, if if you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father your circumstances are never out of his control your circumstances are never out of his control and that matters a ton now here's the third thing god is in the process of sanctifying them Um, the word sanctify comes from the latin sanctus which is holy the greek underneath that is hagios which is holy and so it's he is making us holy Okay, we'll go back to story and setting and stress and search and solution and new setting. Do you see the solution to your problems as holiness? Do you, let me ask you this, do you want to be holy? Does the thought of becoming holy get you out of bed in the morning? Uh, You're in church, and so you have to answer that question a certain way, right? Um, But this is where if we were just sitting at a table together, I'd ask you, like, hey, what do you really want, and what do you want to want? And my guess is that holiness is in the want-to-want category, but it's not the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. If I asked you, would you rather be holy or rich? I'm not going to ask you to answer that question, because we're in church, right? Would you rather be, if you're single, holy or married? uh, Would you rather be holy or successful? I think our hearts Man, we, we long for those things in a way that we don't long for holiness. And in our culture, holiness does not seem a solution that makes us think, let's go get that, you know. Um, and I think that's a helpful diagnostic question because to the extent that we don't want holiness, we, we are living out a different story than God has for us because he says that's your true problem. Um, and that's th- where the solution lies. Who are, the, who are the, the original exiles in the Bible? Who are the original exiles in the Bible? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, in the presence of God. Sin enters the picture, and, and God removes them from his presence. They are exiled from the presence of God, from the garden, by their sin. The rest of the Bible is taking care of that problem so that at the end of the bible in revelation the dwelling place of god will be with man and we will be with god and that will be um our treasure that will be what we're created for it will be beyond our wildest dreams and imagination of of bliss to be in the presence of god because it's what we're made for uh the solutions that we exert after on a day-to-day basis the things that we want um the things that you're you're checking on your phone when you get out of bed in the morning because i think most of us are probably checking our phone when we get out of bed in the morning are not holiness i read an article this week about how we're all addicted to dopamine and they were talking about digital addiction from a chemical standpoint and like that it does give you a little hit and we probably are legitimately addicted chemically addicted to getting something on our phone that will get us excited and produce a little bit of dopamine. Um, here, Peter is saying, You have been um, your elect exiles of the dispersion according to the Four Lives of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. Because obedience to Jesus, because Jesus loves us more than we can imagine, is smarter than we could ever comprehend, and knows what our life is like best. Like, that is the best thing for us. But obedience to Jesus does not often give you a dopamine hit, I'm guessing, right? And so the part of the theme of 1 Peter is that the suffering that we go through is the thing that sanctifies us. And while we see suffering to be the stress in our story, God sees suffering to be the search that leads to the solution, which is us becoming more like him. Man, you see how getting your story right makes a gigantic difference in how you look at what's going on in your life. Um, we need change. He's going to change us. Change can be hard, but it is good. All right, I'm going to wind this up. And just my, my hope, my prayer, what's happened to me this week is I have been convicted about stories that I have made more important than God's big story for my life. But the little stories haven't fit into that story. They become primary stories. To the extent that I don't want the same things that God wants for me, I realize some disconnect in my heart between what he says is true and what I'm living out as true. And that is a place where I need to go to him and say, God, this is what I want. I might even say this is what I want to want, and it's still not what you want. Help me to want what you want for me and bring me back into alignment in maybe not all over my life, but in whatever areas are prominent right now with what you say is uh, best for me and help me to stop putting electrical tape over the check engine light because God's never going to do that (laughs) And, and to get working with him about that. This letter, part of the reason I, I wanted to preach this letter is because of the cultural moment that we're in, and part of why I'm excited about this, and I think it's super useful for us as the church right now, is because our culture is, doesn't know what its story is anymore, and I think we have more competing versions of what that story is than, than we ever have had. Um, I found this article it was in the New York Times just a few days ago, as was an essay. One thing we can agree on is that we're becoming a different country. And one of their examples was that of that was um, that at um, Cal Berkeley, which is one of the, like, highest viewed academic institutions in the country, signaled its willingness within the last few years to consider disciplining people for making one of a large number of statements. So these were becoming like trigger language you know and included in those statements was were these three statements america is a melting pot you were going to get disciplined for saying that everyone can succeed in this society if they work hard enough that was going to become triggering language and i believe the most qualified person should get the job <laughs> I, I get that you can poke at those statements but like come on you know and so we're just in a place where Part of what is going on is the underlying stories of what we think is true, which weren't right in the first place, you know what I mean? But we're consistent, are different. And more than ever, the church, no, not more than ever, as much as ever, as much as we've ever needed, we need to understand that God knows what our story is better than we know what our story is, better than our culture knows what our story is. And we have a chance in, our, in a culture that is, is schizophrenic right now. And that's only going to get worse to say this is the truth and God's story for your life. Um, you, have, uh, you have this, and the band can come back up, and, and um, we're going to take communion this morning. And part of why I think Jesus says as often it, you know, as you do this, do it and remember it to me, is because this is like a reminder, a visceral reminder of what your true story is. Peter at the end of this says... Um, He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And when he says obedience and sprinkling of the blood, he's alluding back to a scene in Exodus when Moses comes down off the mountain. He's got the commandments and they said, you know, all right, we're in. We'll do everything that God told us to do. And then Moses actually sprinkles the blood of a lamb over the people to, to signal his covenant made with them now they screw that up quick you know (laughs) but peter is is writing them back into that story and saying now because of what jesus has done for us we can live that out because we're being sanctified not in our own power but in the power of the holy spirit of god that raised jesus from the dead so we can live out obedience to jesus as what's best for us um because we have been sprinkled with the blood and that's what this represents and so when he, he then says grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh man, would that grace, our understanding of the grace of God towards us and the peace that it brings us with him and each other, would that that be multiplied to us and out of the church multiplied to the people around us, that people would understand the grace of God towards them and experience peace with God and with each other because of what Christ has done for them. So we do this in remembrance this morning because this is our story. You can peel off the, the top of this, and this is the body of Christ that has been um, broken for us. And so we, we eat this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. off that next layer, and this is the blood of Christ that's been shed for us, and we drink this in remembrance of him. Jesus, we thank you for um, that grace and peace is possible because of what you've done for us, Lord. I pray that um, I pray that you would help us to recognize, I think we'd be overwhelmed if you had us, convicted us of all of them, but one or two, three areas of our life where we are living out the wrong story. And bring us to a place of of repentance and agreeing with you about what our true story is and um, seeking you in that area of our life, Lord. I pray that you would um, that you would give us uh, courage and strength and wisdom and humility to live as ex- elect exiles in a dispersion, Lord. Um, that when things are getting crazier around us, God, that we would cling to you even more, Lord. And, um, and that in the power of your spirit, you would meet us in ways uh, that we know that you are here. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.